All right. Say it every time. I love that shit. Um, I'm Scott. I, I love it, dude. Uh, I'm Scott. I'm the Sober Heathen. Welcome to the Sober Heathen Podcast. Uh, another great guest coming up uh, momentarily. Make sure to check out all the other guys that, uh, and gals. I have a lot of gals that have came on and, and shared their information. Make sure you check that out. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, you know where to go. But uh, check out Crystal and Gail and Laura, um, uh, our UK friends. Um, our uh, Canadian friends have came on. Um, we got people from all over the U.S. and 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 we've went out of country on this thing. So check out, check out everybody. Uh, uh, everybody's been phenomenal. I'm just lucky to be here listening and and being able to be a part of it. Uh, today I get to mark Maine off my map, um, adding that great state uh, to guests. I'm excited to do that every freaking time. It's like. It's like getting that new sobriety coin, which I did a few minutes ago. I eight months today. Uh, so pretty sweet. So Patrick from Maine, welcome to the Sober Heathen Podcast, my friends. Thank thanks for joining me. And uh, you know, how's sobriety going for you? Well, I think my I gotta give my obligatory. My name's Patrick. I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic, you know. Um sure. but Man, it's going really well. Uh, if you had asked me a year ago, how's it going? Uh, there probably would have been a more expletive laid in uh, and just like generally snarkier answer to that. You know, it's sure. been uh, pretty transformative. You know, I uh, my sober date is uh, March 20th of 2022. So just awesome. got through the first year and the first month there. And, you know, it's kind of like a weird place in sobriety because, you know, I'm sure, you know, like you just mentioned getting your chip there and you've got kind of this sort of monthly like reward system. And, you know, I kind of felt weird about that just from the get go until I realized that it was really more for the other people in the room. Sure. But, you know, this is sort of like, as you're transitioning into more of like a long-term kind of version of sobriety. And that's kind of interesting, you know, there's yeah. like different challenges and, <clears throat> you know, um, I, I don't know, it's been, it's just been a, what a journey, man. You know, I, there was so much that I didn't even know that I didn't know about myself. Right on, right on. So you, so March, um, you know, that's just a couple months away from hitting that year. Uh, so you hit the year. What happened? Anything happened? Did it, did it feel different? Did it feel better? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I try not to put a lot of like stock into the milestones, but you know, something about a year, you know, it sounded really cool. And I had two close friends give me medallions, you know, they're in my pocket right here. Like I just, I like the weight of it. Yeah. Um, it feels good, but it also feels like kind of a transition, you know, um, like, all right, I'm going out of a, like, not that you're out of a day-to-day -day mindset because like, this is a one day, you know, kind of game we're playing, but you know, you start thinking like, what does this look like long-term and you know, what is service going to look like for me and where do I apply my efforts? You know, there's a lot of wonderful people out there that do business meetings and all this stuff that like, I would rather get waterboarded than sit right. <laughs> but, you know, I just filled out the paperwork to bring meetings to one of my local County jails. And while we were talking, I just got the email back. So, you know, that's awesome. kind of somewhere that I felt called to do service. Like I want to work with people that need help and want help. And like, I, I don't want to spend my time with people that are just fucking around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. This is life and death for me. Like, I'm not going to meetings or talking to you right now. I mean, this is fun, but like, I'm not doing this because I couldn't think of anything else to do. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. That's it's a serious, serious thing for a lot of us. And, you know, that's that's a, kind of a cool thing. It's like we all have this unity of purpose. Um, I know you and I interact with a lot of the same people on the 
recovery Twitter there. Like that's been a really interesting community, man. It's really supportive and, you know, kind of like not totally on board with like traditional AA, but, you know, speaking personally, cause like, I don't, I'm not a representative yeah. of AA. Um, yeah. It's been really cool, man. Like there's some guys on there. I know, you know, um, ex problem drinker and some of these dudes that yeah. I just, I love the vulnerability and the honesty and like, it's just such a cool example to see, you know, men that I respect out there, like, you know, really just showing us how to do it the right way. I think. Yeah, man, it, it is. It is something else. I have tried and tried and tried for years to find that on Facebook and it doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And I, I don't know why that is. It, it's gotta be the same people. I, I, I just don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's just the timing on the Twitter and the changes that are happening there, but yeah, the community okay. is, uh, pretty badass and 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 that's awesome that you're doing meetings um you know to get any kind of hope when you're stuck in a cage and i use that i i, I use the term cage all the time because i really want to drive it home because that's what it, it that's what it is that's the reality you're putting somebody in a cage like an animal they're sleeping on steel and concrete and you know a lot of these people have not hurt anybody they're just suffering from something else and we've deemed it bad so you are bad go to your cage like an animal the punishing um, sick people you know yeah i mean that's that's really what it is you know um i, I am no way condoning drinking and driving which i have done 10 billion times and got caught only four so <laughs> I, and i have not hurt anybody and i'm and I, I i appreciate the severity of those actions and what they could have resulted in yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I did not hurt anybody. And, and, you know, so, but anyway, I made that bed anyway. Uh, yeah. You, so you, you talked about, and I, I, I like, I, I, I like to talk about this a little bit too, because I think sometimes people feel shoehorned into AA is it. And it's yeah. these other programs that are out there like talking circle and life ring. And I, I don't know what they're called in every state, but around here, those there, uh, one's a secular one and one is a native American teaching. Mm-hmm. And once I was exposed to these other things, I started to take, you know, AA even says, take what you need and leave the rest. Right. So I was mm-hmm. able to go to all these different pathways, you know, walk down this path and like, oh, take a picture of that tree. I like that. Oh, take a p- picture of that bush. I like that. And then I took everything. And that's when things started to really go. Is that your experience? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've really liked AA, you know, there's, it's worked for me. It saved my life, but you know, I find people have like a real black and white kind of thinking about it. And, you know, I think that drives a lot of people away and, you know, you're talking about a hundred year old book written by, you know, a a self-expressed con man of sorts. So like, it's amazing. It works. There's some really cool stuff in there. I think the big book is like one of the more profound contributions to the spiritual world from Western society. But, you know, the idea that like, that's the only way to get sober is dogmatic and it kills people, you know, and there's, there are a lot of battles that, you know, were fought and are being fought in the hall still in my, you know, like this is just pleasing in my opinion, as far as, you know, that being an inclusive space for people that identify as addicts as well, because, you know, I think the notion of a, of a substance centered, recovery program is just like really archaic you know yeah yeah so. it should just it should just be AA. it should be addiction anonymous it should yeah. it should be all inclusive I, I i agree with that um it's it's just to to be in the place where it's supposed to be full of hope you're mm-hmm. supposed to be able to share your experience strength and hope and yeah. then to to say that's that's part of the stigma and and that's yeah. you know that's a conversation that's been going on on twitter that i've been trying to 
fuel because you know I I had one guy in particular like dude where are my where are my NAs at he used a different word which I won't use because it's offensive to some people uh, fuck it. yeah uh, fuck it I'm gonna use it because it's my podcast and I can junkie and drunk are two things that are offensive yeah. to both sides you know being I call called a drunk a junkie sometimes just to keep myself yeah. knocked out a peg but I guess sure it. I mean it's to each their own and I get how some people are offended so don't call yourself that but when somebody else does you know that's what they want to do and and that's up to them but he's like where are my junkies at dude he's like I see all these AA people all these alcoholics coming together and and recovering out loud well it's because of that stigma that's stuck out there. And, you know, you're absolutely right, because I've seen it, too. You know, I I am not dogging AA. I fucking love it. No, dude, same here. Same here. Like, it, yeah. it saved my life. I love it. I love going to my meetings, you know. But we live in a world where we got to be able to say, hey, this isn't perfect, and that's okay, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is my second AA book. You can't really see, but it's a <laughs> rainbow. You open this thing up, it's like a rainbow. I got... Blue, green, you know, yellow, orange highlighters. The first 164 pages of that thing is a textbook, and that's what it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And if you read it as that, you know, um, you can get so much from it. But when you get people in there that get their ego involved, that's when when things hit the fan. So I just, yeah, I would love to find, I'd love to start a meeting or, you know, Zoom meetings. That's the thing that people don't realize, too. The world of Zoom meetings since COVID started, and I don't know if you were able to utilize that that's at all. That's how I started, man. Yeah. Okay. That's where I yeah. My start was the uh, 24-hour marathon meeting. Okay. Yeah. There's that. There's that. And then there's every 15 minutes at aa-innergroup.org, every 15 minutes, another meeting starts. And there's like 50 of them that start every 15 minutes or more. And it's, it's amazing. <laughs> What a feat of, you know, human, like, just cooperation. Like, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, kind of tropes about how people are bad and people don't care about each other. You know, just like from it being a functional program is remarkable, like, let alone, you know, getting into, like, how much on a personal level we all do for each other. Like, it just, it's really kind of restored my faith in humanity that, like, my very dark drinking and using days, like, did a number on, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, you know, there's there there is opportunity for AA to be better, but uh, it it it's it has saved a lot of lives, but it's not the yeah. end all be all. And anybody that says that it is, you know, you're just being dishonest. Yeah, that's a big red flag to me, and like that's why I like to tell my story. Like, I'm not a brown bag wino. I wasn't drinking in the morning. Like, um, you know, I, I haven't had a DUI somehow. Like, Jesus Christ, I tried. <laughs> Um, but you know, like as my life got worse internally and like, as I was just plummeting towards my bottom, like on paper, my life looked better and better, dude. I was getting promoted. I was making more money. I had a company car. Like I was killing it at this job because I was like, I was a line con man and I was in sales. Perfect. You know, I was made for this. Yeah. So it, it's just, man, uh, yeah, it, it really is remarkable. You know, um, this, this program works and like, you don't need to wait until it gets bad enough. I didn't really understand the progressive nature of the disease that, you know, just because I drank, you know, kind of recklessly or had some chaotic drug use, you know, I wasn't able to see on a short enough timeline how that progressed. But, you know, I was lucky enough, as weird as it says, to be cross addicted with opiates. And I completely lost control of that addiction in a way that, you know, my alcoholism, while it was progressing steadily, it just wasn't the same thing. And, you know, I was lucky to take that and be able to just kind of extrapolate out and go, holy shit, you know, and it was around that time that like I had started drinking against my will. And, um, you know, uh, 
hope you don't mind me uh, bringing this up, but uh, a big part of myself getting doing the groundwork to get ready to get sober involved a lot of uh, psychedelics and, you know, a lot of me, unfortunately, doing it all myself because I was a stubborn idiot and I was, you know, self will run riot trying to do it all. But, you know, that was my process in the year leading up to my sobriety of trying to process trauma and, you know, trying to get to a place where I felt like I actually deserved happiness and I was going to stop just blowing my life up like every time, every chance I got. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Finish up, buddy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I was able to stop drinking, you know, like I, I cannot pick up a drink. I'm that type of alcoholic. But as soon as I have a drink, I am. It's not just that I lose control about drinking. It's that I'm a different person, you know, like yeah. I, I start making decisions and you know doing things that really compromise me spiritually and you know that to me causes like a big spiral like uh towards the end of my marriage things were going so poorly here and I was such a not present partner you know I thought that just by like doing the shopping and taking care of my spouse like just doing the things I was technically supposed to do like I thought that was like enough but like I wasn't a present partner and I wasn't there emotionally and I you know I was doing such a bad job in my marriage I involved myself in someone else's and you know like I I had actually stopped drinking and found myself sliding even more into bad behavior and like so to me that's where like this is why I hype recovery you know like actual recovery not just not drinking yeah 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 it's uh it's the drinking is um I, I like how the big book t- says it's just a uh, symptom of a bigger problem. And it's, it's our thinking that gets us into trouble. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like you were telling my story there for a minute, man. You know, I, uh, I, same thing, you know, I was, I would go out and mow the lawn. I'd clean the pool. You know, I'm not sitting here. I was out there, you know, Mr. Dad by any stretch of the imagination, but I was doing things in my mind that, um, you know, I, I run and get things when we needed it that we didn't have for dinner or recipe or whatever. And it's like, yeah, see, I'm, I'm doing fine, you know? Yeah. And, and like you, I, I had a company vehicle at a time and then I had a, another job where they paid me to use my vehicle, you know, and it just, I kept getting better and better, better. And it's like, this is not a problem. I knew it was a problem, but my thinking told me it would get all fucked on me and say, ah, oh, you know what? Nah, it's not really. It, how can it be a problem if things keep getting better? And then I lost all of it. And and so I'm glad to hear it. So it sounds like you were able to kind of cut it off before that happened as far as work. So uh, I didn't, you know, wind up losing my job. Like I'm, I guess, fortunate or unfortunate enough to be a really like neurotic person. Um, you know, I'm very high strong. <laughs> I was a chef. So I'm really used to just like failure wasn't an option in my industry. Like you don't get to make mistakes. Like if you mess up this thing, you don't have it on the met. You know what I mean? So just the, like, I came from like a really high pressure background and putting a lot of stress on myself and, you know, kind of all of my life, like really put me in this just place where I was hyper stressed and I just didn't have the tools to deal with it in a healthy way. Dude, I to be a chef, you know, I love being at the grill you know, and I love, you know, you know, cutting up the potatoes and doing all these things and, and doing all this crap on the grill. And it's bad enough, you know, when something like I, the potatoes, you know, aren't cooked all the way through, or I forget, I get busy doing something else and something burns. I can't imagine being a freaking chef, dude, and dealing with people, like yeah. not family, like people, people are gross. You know what I mean? They're, I, 
that is a stressful job that I would never, ever want to do. So kudos for you. I mean, clearly you get something great out of it and to be a chef and to be able to do things like that, that's awesome. But what a stressful environment. Dude, it just became another addiction for me. I'm like, oh, everybody needs me. Like, I'm the linchpin for this millions of dollar a year business. Like, what a fucking head rush, you know? Every problem, sure. like, I'm the point of contact for everything. Like, you know, and it was, you know, uh, chefs and bartenders have a time-honored relationship. So, you know, I'd be sending a steak upstairs to the bartender. And, you know, they'd fill my 32-ounce Yeti tumbler with Jameson for the ride home. And, you know, I'd be doing lines off my desk and just, you know... Heathen shit. Heathen shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, uh, that, that from my experience as a bouncer and working, you know, uh, dating, a uh, a, a server and a bartender for a while, about three years or so, um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I don't believe anybody was like doing Coke or anything. I did uh, a couple times. I'd go somewhere else to do it, but yeah. uh, <clears throat> I don't believe that circle was, but yeah, no shit. But it was, it was the same thing. The cook was in the kitchen. He would shoot food out and he'd be drinking the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's tough. Do you still, are you still a chef? Is that still your. Uh, I'm actually lucky enough. I got out about five years ago um, as my wife at the time, her health had really declined and, you know, I was working 40 hours just on the weekend. So I transitioned into like a sales consulting role. So I actually get to work with restaurants and hotels in the Portland, Maine area, which is one of the coolest restaurant scenes in the entire world, frankly. So I'm really lucky. I've got a great job. You know, I still get to be involved in an industry I'm passionate about, but you know, I'm not, around you know booze and pretty girls and late nights and just all the things that historically you know were pitfalls for me and it's it's nice you know like i actually think i probably would be able to handle that job a little better now like it's not something i'm about to rush off and do but you know my uh like my addiction to stress was a, a very serious one too like you just get used to the craziness and the chaos and then you get used to operating you know, reasonably efficiently in that environment of chaos. Do, do you think you got to hit a dopamine every time the shit hit the fan? Oh, hell yeah. 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 Every time I put out an actual fire or like yeah. stop one of my line cooks from shooting the one next to him who was in a different gang, you know, like just stuff that, uh, you know, I just, I just wanted to cook, man. And that job really became about wrangling all the delightful convicts and, you know, yeah, dude. that we worked with. And I, you know, man, I love those people. Don't get me wrong. Like, so I, yeah, dude, I, I, I was, um, I was a safety coordinator and a safety director. That's what I did for a lot of years inside a chemical plant and inside a Dow chemical, man, it's just a fucking nightmare for the rules and regulations, but I don't think our safety meetings looked at all alike. <laughs> no, man. And, and and that's why I asked you that question, because I thinking back on it, you know, just doing some self-reflecting every time I'd get a call and be like, yeah, so-and-so got hurt or so-and-so got busted doing this. He was standing backwards on a ladder. There was that instant like, Ooh, I get to be pissed off and fired up about something drama. Yeah, baby drama. And then go and I get to get right in the middle of the drama. And uh, I, I, that's, I think uh, for me, you know, obviously you're a little uh, deeper into your recovery for me. I I don't think that's going to be a, an environment that I can return to because I was thriving off the chaos. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Chaos, anger, you know, it's uh, in Buddhism, they say like it's a, a sweet flower with bitter roots. You know, it's really mm-hmm. easy to go back to that source. But like as you explore it further, there's no like substance to it, you know? 
Right on. So, okay. So AA, um, not a lot of meetings or whatever. You're going to start a meeting for the jail. That's fantastic. So what do you do now? Um, you know, there was a tweet and I won't read your tweet, but I did, I did write it down. You know, um, you talked about, uh, sleep and, and, and some things going on that are, that are true. What do you do then, uh, to keep your head clear and to rein, rein your crazy thoughts back in these days? You know, that, I'm kind of glad you mentioned that. That was like a really interesting tweet in terms of the reactions, you know, like the, both like what people read into what I was saying and just kind of what they offered up. But I kind of had come to a place where I'm like, all right, I'm working a really strong recovery. You know, I have a sponsor. Um, someone just asked me to sponsor them. You know, I have my set meetings. I have a morning routine. I pray and meditate. I do yoga. You know, I've made all these lifestyle choices. I've lost weight, but, you know, I'm still, I don't sleep. I have anxiety problems. Like I, I came to realize with finally with the clarity of recovery that I'm, I have hypervigilance and, you know, likely that's from PTSD. And, but, you know, that I'm sitting here thinking, well, I mean, how can I have PTSD? I didn't go to Iraq or, you know, my life wasn't that bad. So I'm sitting here like have an imposter syndrome about being traumatized, <laughs> you know? Maybe. <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's that's uh, kind of like I, I I was given the you know people will say a lot in recovery. I was given the gift of desperation to get in the door, and you know today I was given the gift of desperation with my mental health, where I just said, all right, I'm willing to do anything to feel better. I can't keep going like this, and you know that's really cool. Like I'm so grateful that I've done all the work to get to this place to be able to feel the things I was feeling and understand them, and then take positive change to like make progress. Sure. Yeah. You know, I really hope that people in these like last three interviews that I've done, I really hope people, um, they there's, there's from all three of you guys, there's, there's such a confidence coming from the way that you guys answer things. And, and there's like peace, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's no stress or like hair pulling, you know, there's no visual signs. You're, you're, there's just a calm about all three of you guys that I've had the last three guests on here. And and it's really, it's really great to see. Um, Dude, I was literally pulling my hair out a year ago, you know, like I yeah. was a, just a mess, man. Like you wouldn't have, you wouldn't recognize me if I was sitting in front of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so hard to see in early recovery. A year seems like an eternity away. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it seems impossible. You know, I, I would sit yeah. in the meeting and see those hands go up. Who's got a year or more. And I thought those people, it was like uh, Mount Olympus, you know, this yeah. pantheon of like kind of salty old timers that, you know, I've come to love. Like some of my favorite people in recovery are, you know, six, this 65 year old woman or like just people that I would never, ever have crossed path with before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a dude in the, the home group uptown that I don't get to go to as much as I'd like to. Um, but he's like in his mid nineties and he still drives up there and it's like, Jesus <laughs> They're like, yeah, we'll we'll send him to come pick you up, and it's like, ah, uh, you know, I I got a thing now. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't, no, I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. I'm not picking on the the elderly folks. Don't send me hate mail. It's the cool thing is like my home group that I got sober in. They call it a beginners meeting. I mean, I think some of the people in there have been sober since the last supper. So it's kind of like a funny <laughs> way to put it. And then my other regular meeting is a young people's meeting in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And man, there's kids in there that are 16, 17 years old that have similar length of sobriety to me. That's amazing and inspiring. That is, yeah. yeah, I, I hear. Protesting a little. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I see, uh, I've had people on that got sober at like 17 or, you know, 21, like they figured out it was a problem so early and it's like, Jesus, it's like, you must've been like uh Yoda in a, in a previous life, you know, because seriously, wow. I could not, I, I, I was delusional. I, I mean, I'm 41 now, got eight months in, I've been working on my recovery for probably a little over two years and I was in a complete state of denial and to, to work through that at that age is impressive. The, the self-awareness of young people really kind of shocks me in this because, you know, if you're in these rooms and you're kind of listening and doing the work, you just tend to cultivate an awareness about yourself and you develop a language where, you know, you're able to articulate and talk about this stuff that in, you know, kind of normal people, like I, I don't enjoy conversing with people outside of recovery as much as I used to, because there's just, I don't want to talk about the fucking weather. I don't want to talk yeah. about, you know, uh, America's got talent or like whatever. Like I want to get real. And if you don't want to get real, that's absolutely fine, but I don't want to be around you. Yeah. To each their own. No, I dude, I totally understand. There is like one show. There's like two shows that I can watch. And I, I find myself just watching them over and over again. I watch the X-Files and I watch Supernatural I might sound like a teenage girl when I mentioned supernatural, but whatever. I, it's a guilty pleasure. But I don't watch. I don't watch the news anymore. I definitely don't watch any of those the talent shows. I'll watch a clip on TikTok or something. Um, but yeah, I, I I want to be talking to the people that you know are, are doing meaningful things, and recovery is is meaningful because it's a life or death thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, not it's not that you can't like, man. I watch TV sometimes. It's not like that. But yeah, I just I, you know my my desire to have superficial encounters is pretty non-existent you know and right. that's cool man like i spent my entire life running from the slightest discomfort and now i'm like well let's get into this weird stuff and like let's like talk about this and you know let's have a, a not a not a confrontation in a negative sense but like let's address this problem together and then move past it and yeah. and it's it's amazing you know yeah I, I, yeah i definitely don't want to run from anything anymore either because i that it took so long to get that weight. And we talked about that earlier today in the previous podcast, that weight that you carry, um, you know, from all the lies and all the, you know, all the things that come with, with, uh, uh addiction, um, to finally get that off your shoulder. Yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from about let's address it now. Why, yeah. why wait until later? Let's just talk about it. Yeah. I don't need to give my crazy alcoholic brain time to think up excuses or bullshit or anything like that, you know, because, you know, I used to describe myself as uh, an everyday drinker and a weekend junkie. And by the end, I had some pretty like foolproof junkie logic for why Wednesday afternoon was like really a weekend if you thought about it, you know, someday. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's scary stuff. I heard someone said in a meeting last night, like, yeah, I would have stolen your wallet and helped you look for it. Yeah, I was like, yep. That's like, that's it right there, you know? Yep. Yeah. We just talked about that. Um, I was talking that with somebody about that the other day where um, doing the safety inside the chemical plant, I was, I would take my half pints in with me. I'd go get them around lunchtime and then I would hide them throughout the plant in different trash cans. I saw that post actually. Yeah. And then when the, I, I remember the day that they, it was found on my job site, like it's how dumb are you to put it on your job site? But it was a game, you know, and I buried it in there and the cleaning lady found it. And they're like, we found a bottle in here, you know, uh, you know, just come forward and who it is. And I'm sitting here, I'm leading the investigation to find out who the culprit is. And <laughs> it's me with the bathroom stall shut and me like waiting. Okay. Nobody's here. Go. 
Yeah, is all right. Is that case still open at Dow Chemical? Like, the file is still open? <laughs> yeah, it probably, probably not. They probably that at least the company I work for now after um, after my departure there, um, uh, being passed out on the job and being taken to the ER uh, after being taken to some of the big the big wigs from Dow Chemical, one of the companies inside Dow Chemical. We were going to a hockey game. And we went to dinner and I was pretty blitzed before we even got in the vehicle to go. Went into the bathroom and we got there, chugged a half pint. And by the end of the night, long story short, I don't remember doing it, but I was eating my steak with my bare hands. Oh, 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 oh nice. In, in front of these two important clients. And Ball on Flintstones, huh? Yeah. And my, my boss had to call my fiance and she had to come pick me up. And then I had to go do the whole like i'm sorry to these other two dudes eventually but that's just it's a painful thing to have to do you know because like you wake up and feel the like oh shit like honestly that's probably my favorite thing about recovery is saturday and sunday morning like i don't yeah. sleep well whatever like i may wake up at five o'clock in the morning but man i'm not throwing up i'm not going through yeah. withdrawals i'm not hungover i'm not wondering if the mailman is going to bring me my drugs today you know yeah, dude. Yeah, those dry heaves. I, I don't miss that either. And it, I, I know the sleep cycle, dude. Uh, I, I totally understand. I mean, there was a minute there about a month ago where I was sleeping sleeping like a baby. I could lay down. I'd be asleep now. And it was the best sleep of my life. And now that's coming back. It's it's more torturous now. But I would take that over anything else in my any the best day uh, the best day you know after the best night of drinking with the next day hangover i would i wouldn't trade it and that's honest i I never believed anybody when they said it before when i first got into this if you told me uh you know if you went back to like january of 2022 and said you know in a year and change like not only will you not be taking you know painkillers or drinking alcohol but you won't think about it you won't crave it like the just the idea of a world where that was not my predominant thought, just it was impossible for me to like visualize it. I've got quite the fucking imagination, man. Sure, dude. But sure. I, I couldn't. I I couldn't picture a world where my every thought wasn't. Do I have a pill? Can I get a pill? Is my? Do I need to leave it for my sick wife? You know, just like this nonstop. Like, man, not doing drugs is awesome. You know how much less shit I got to worry about. Dude, like, it's great. You know, and it's it's crazy, and I I want you I want to ask you more about that, like the the cravings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the planning, you know, for me, it, the first thing I'd think of when I wake up is, all right, how am I going to get alcohol today? What I've thought about recently is like, why did I never plan to just get a bunch of it all at once? <clears throat> And store it so I didn't have to do that every day. But I never thought of that. It was always I got to go get what I need for today. Today, you One know what day I mean? At a time, man. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think that was the delusion. Like I'm just going to do it today, and then I won't do it tomorrow. And and yes. then it was just you know all that stress. But Dude, so every, every Monday I was going to stop using, man. I was that that Sunday night <laughs> one. That was going to be my last uh, my last line of oxy, and you know I was gonna gonna sweat it out. And then yeah, you know, just just next week, just just cool it, man. Maybe I'll just drop some acid and chill, or you know whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Nope. So, so when did, when, what, about when did the cravings stop? Um, for me, it, it, I can't name when it happened, but it just happened one day. And I haven't thought about that. My mind has not went to, Hey, you know what would be a good uh, way to deal with this? A fit. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
Yeah. Do, do you remember uh, noticing that? I mean, uh, was there a day where you're like, holy fuck? I'm- I think I'm I'm like really lucky in that, you know, nobody nobody brought me here. Like there was no judge. No one had an intervention. Like I pushed everybody out of my life. So nobody knew what I was doing. And anybody that knew didn't care enough to not let me kill myself. Uh, so, you know, and I, I didn't know that there was such a thing as alcohol not working for you anymore. But, you know, I, I was really controlled. I'd come home and the, I'd drink from three in the afternoon to like maybe nine o'clock at night. I'd kind of set a certain amount. I would drink water. You know, I had it very, I was the epitome of a high functioning drunk. Sure. Um, but but it stopped working. I stopped getting that relief. And the last night I went out, we went to a show with my friends and we took a limo. I drank a bottle of Jameson. I took three hits of acid. I took uh, two points of MDMA, which is a ton. Uh, I was doing ketamine, cocaine, nitrous. I was smoking weed. Dude, I still couldn't get out of my fucking head. Like, I took enough drugs to kill Jimi Hendrix, and all I saw (laughs) was a hallucination of ants crawling up my arm, and I started screaming at this guy's house that I didn't know about his bug infestation, which is kind of funny in retrospect, but I probably looked like a fucking madman, you know? So awesome. it, like, it wasn't fun, man. I was done. I knew that night, like there was this much left in the bottle and I set it down on this kid's foosball or ping pong table. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. So like, I, like, I knew I was done and like, I just, I knew it wasn't working. So I, I think once I realized that I kind of stopped wanting it as much, like there's things I miss as a chef. Like I miss fine wine, you know, just like from a, a palate kind of standpoint and, you know, there's a few things here or there once in a while on a Friday. I'm like, oh, I wish I could get a Mai Tai with my fried rice. But, like, I don't really want that because it was never one, you know? Right. There's probably a couple of Chinese food restaurant bartenders in the area that think I got, like, body snatch or abducted by aliens or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering about that. Probably oh, a couple of dealers, too, wondering what happened to me. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the 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 town that my kids live in right Gosh. now, the the party star there, they – uh you know, they they would see me pull in, and they'd have the four half pints sitting on the counter waiting for me. I didn't even have to ask for anything anymore. Hey, it's all about customer service. I'll tell you. Hey, you know what? They care. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You know, they they. I would rotate. Uh, I would rotate at party stores here in town after my divorce because I thought I was fooling everybody. But mm-hmm. you know, when you're coming in and you're getting a fifth and two pints and then three half pints, or you're getting a half gallon and two pints or whatever every other day you're not really fooling anybody but i i was convinced i was i'd get all dressed up dude with the collar shirt and my khaki shorts like another gonna be another good day on the course you know pouring rain outside didn't matter yep now i remember at the end you know my wife was very ill and she was essentially bedridden and so she would be Mm. laying in bed i was you know kind of felt stuck at home so i would be uh cleaning or cooking or whatever and just you know getting hammered in the kitchen but like I was incapable of honesty at, at the same point. So, you know, there'd be the fights and like, are you drunk? No, you know, I only had two drinks. All right. That might've been technically true, but I need to qualify this with a couple of things. I actually sell plates and glasses for a living. So I went into one of my catalogs and found the biggest glass that is available <laughs> on the commercial glass market. So technically, yes, I might've only had two drinks, but it was a fucking bottle of Tito's. You know, that's like, that's what being an alcoholic is to me right yeah. there. It it's is. just that bullshit thinking. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Four drinks a night for me. It was four half pints. But yeah. but it was like two bit, you know, two drinks was this sort of like magical, yeah. like metaphorical, like, yeah, I'm a little drunk, but not really. And like nobody believes it, you know. Yeah. It's amazing what we can do. So so what's uh so what's next, man? You're uh 
you're into your year. What's what's next for you? What's the what's the plan? What's the goals for the future? Yeah, you, you got the email, so it is a done deal on these meetings. Then, yes, yeah. I uh, it looks like I'm going to be all set. So I think you know it's been 13 months of me listening to people like what's worked, what hasn't worked, and I just I need to keep this my program front and center. And the more I think about other people's crazy shit instead of mine, for whatever reason, you know, the better I do. Yeah. So I think, you know, I need to stick with my service positions and, you know, I just started sponsoring this kid yesterday and I'm really excited. I said, look, man, we're going to kind of learn this stuff together. And um, I just, I feel really optimistic, man. I, I went from just so hopeless. Like, do you remember those old pot commercials where the dude was flat on the couch and they'd be like, oh yeah, like Jimmy smoked pot. And now he's like completely <laughs> like flat. That was kind of what it was like at the end. And, you know, I remember coming into the rooms and there was all these smiling, like you said, confident, calm people. And I remember going, what is with these fucking Ned Flanders people? Like, they're all so happy and calm and nice. (laughs) Now, like, I'm one of those nice people who's like, well, love you until you can love yourself. And I tell people I'm going to pray for them. And it's still hard for me not to, like, roll my eyes at myself because I was a cynical asshole. And if he said, I'm going to pray for you, in my head, I would have been like, cool, I'm going to say something to my imaginary friend. Yeah, like, yep. that's sucky, man. You know, like because I had a bad experience with organized religion, I closed myself off. And man, I have a personal relationship with a higher power. Like it's not a Christian God, but man, like yeah. I commune and I talk to this, you know, being whatever you want to call it every day, and I have a relationship. That's crazy, you know. It it, it dude, it is. I mean, I was I was a, uh, you know. Um, for me being an atheist for as long as I was, it was, you know, I, I, I didn't, I always went with the definition of what it is. You know, there wasn't enough evidence to, to, uh, justify a belief in a God, mm-hmm. but I was, I was, uh, militant at times, especially when I was drinking, I'd get out and argue with people. And, um, so when I went into this treatment, it was a religious based treatment, but it didn't feel like that from go. But then as I went on, you know. And I remember when I just gave in and some things happened that I I won't rehash that I've already talked about on here, but, um, you know, the, the director, the spiritual director, I got up and I I was talking in front of everybody. He's like, this dude was an atheist a week ago. You know, he was so (laughs) proud. And it's like, look, dude, I, I, you know, I have a Bible and it's just as colorful as, as my big book because I, I, I read it. I'm like, I'm I'm not going to church on Sunday. That'll never happen. And I'm not, you're not going to see me, you know, doing the Hail Mary thing. But I did find a spiritual connection. Um, at first, it started as just the universe. And then mm-hmm. I, I started to explore things and I found it. And it is very important it, I, for me, it, yes. the, the power greater than myself. It was the groups for mm-hmm. the beginning. And then it's just, it's manifested in my own thing. That's why I wear all what I wear mm-hmm. right now. You know, I got Mjolnir around my neck. I found what works for me and whatever what it is, about, it works right? for you. Yeah. I like, and, and so many people don't come to the halls because they're like, God, this and God, that, like, you know, that's what I, that's why I like sharing my story, man. I'm not a brown bag wine. I'm not here to talk to you about Jesus. I met my higher power on a DMT trip, you know, like my higher power is the mother of the divine feminine. And like, I, like connected with this entity in this experience and carry that connection through to my sobriety. Like there is no conventional way to do this, you know? Awesome. I think that's great to hear, dude. Make sure to tell that story. Like um, how you found that connection. Mine was, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, runes in, in the North uh, paganism. Mm -hmm. And I started reading about that. I did a lot of reading on it and I started doing rune casting for myself and, (laughs) 
one night I, I just, I was crying. I, sh- I was at treatment and I was crying and I shut all the lights off. My roommates weren't in the room. And I just, I sat in a chair all by myself in the complete dark. And I was like, I need something. I, I have to have something. I, I want to die. I, I, I am done fighting. I can't do this anymore. I can't face, you know, these, the consequences that are coming. I, everybody's left me. I can't do this. And I went and I, and I, I, I told, I, I spoke it out into the universe. I'm going to cast my runes and whatever pops up, I'm going to organize these runes according to their uh, letter equivalent. And I did that. And when I finally were able to use all of them, it said facing him, Jesus. Uh, and so yeah so so it's not what you think though so i went and the one guy so this was my fourth treatment and the one guy that i allowed myself to befriend was an older dude who was a devout catholic but we had some great conversations he read you know we talked about the bible and his belief system you know he he was aware that i you know i was knowledgeable in it and we had very fruitful discussions and i ran to him and i said hey does facing him, Jesus, mean anything to you? And he says, yeah, well, you know, one day a week we would go to this window. And I blacked out half of what the shit he was saying because once he said yes, I was like, holy <laughs> crap. You know, and he's like, yeah, we do this window and it's called facing him, you know, facing Jesus. And then I explained to him what happened and he showed me his arm and the hair on his arm. He's like, that's incredible. And I'm like, I know. And that was yeah. the moment that I found the power greater than myself. I cannot explain it. I don't need to explain it right now. I would love to explain it. It's but, kind of cool that you can't, yeah. man. Like what an amazing yeah. story. Yeah. It's, like, it's, you don't sound like a, you know, here's your Jesus pamphlet kind of like, yeah. I don't want to say crazy religious people, but you don't sound like a crazy religious person, you know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not taking the poetic at a knocking on doors and saying, Hey, do you, do you mind me talking to you a minute about Odin, the uh, all father? <laughs> you know, and honestly, man, the thing like, just if I had to say, like, what's the real difference between like religion and a like, why did this work for me when organized religion didn't? And man, it's about action. Like, sure. you can go to church on Sunday, you can say whatever you want, you can pretend to be whatever you want, but like, I rarely saw actions that you know yeah. kind of back that up, and it, it kind of disenfranchised me. So, yep. I I really like this, like having a personal relationship, and like your you know what is it matters to you, and it's just. It's like being empowered again to like reclaim spirituality. Yeah. And anybody listening to this, and I, I want to make this, this this distinction, it doesn't have to be everybody's distinction, but what I've learned and what it was, the way it was presented to me is there is a huge difference between spirituality and religion. They are not one and the same. And so you can have a spiritual experience by going through a walk through nature. You can have a spiritual experience sitting around the tables of AA and having that, that energy, that connection, you know, you know, hurting when somebody else is hurting or feeling joy when somebody else is feeling joy that to me is spirituality like it was put one time religion is for people who don't want to go to hell and spirituality is for people who have been to hell and don't want to go back i thought that was always an interesting take one of the only places in my life you know before sobriety that i ever felt like at peace and at home was in the grateful dead community you know Mm. i would go to these shows and just it was a chance to like be with people who were different. And there was this sense of community because it was the only place where you could go and not feel like, Oh, you're that fucking weird hippie or whatever. Like you were like, <laughs> I'm like a part of something. I actually belong here. And man, I like, I pursued that feeling aggressively because like, what a drug. I never, I never felt like I belonged anywhere. You know, yeah. people will say like, I had that first drink and I fit in. Fuck that dude. I was still an awkward, neurotic weirdo. Like I was drunker, and funnier, <laughs> but also meaner. And like, you know, sure. 
Well, man, this is uh, this was a great conversation. I'd love to do it again. Um, Anytime, maybe. man. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, man. I, I got everybody that's been on here. I'm going to get that map up on the wall. I cannot wait to put the push pins in, and I'm going to keep a catalog. And I, I want to revisit everybody that comes on here. You know, every so often to to see what what things change. And I know it's hard for some people, um, but even if you know. God's forbid that I that I go back and fuck up. I'm going to come right back here and and do this. That's the plan. I, I'm not planning on re- fucking up. I shouldn't even have spoke that into existence. But anybody that you know, anybody that's been on here and they they want to come back and and talk about their struggles, I think that only going to help them, and it's really going to help somebody else because it's it's true. You know. Yeah, man. It's like uh, the bodhisattvas in Buddhism. You know, like people that have found the way, but they stop to help you find the way along the way. You know, it's a whole yeah. program full of that. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, journey together, man. You're not, there's nobody leading the path. We're walking together. I, I agree 100%, dude. Well, Patrick, man, uh, we'll get you out of here. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me, dude. And um, please stay in touch. It was great. I, I, I'd love to, uh, on the side, to learn more about uh, Buddhism and, and the things that you're following and, and meditation and stuff. So, Yeah, man, I'd love to catch up again. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Well, take care. We'll catch you soon. Yeah. Hey, great stuff there um, from Patrick. Um, so this podcast will be posted tomorrow uh, on all the available. Well, you won't hear it until tomorrow. So there's no point in me telling us. See, this is the authenticity that uh, I bring to the table. <laughs> yeah, that's my way of my way of uh, uh, covering uh, my screw ups. Right. So you all have a great day. Um, it was a pleasure, uh, a pleasure talking to Patrick today. And uh, we will catch you on the next one. See you later.